Tidings newsletter that we send out each week. And uh, yesterday, Trisha wrote up a draft and sent it to me because I wanted to add some stuff. And, and I was really blessed to see she found this, uh, this quote. And I'm like, this is perfect. She had no idea what I was preaching on. I'm like, this is a perfect quote for the introduction of what I'm talking about. So I was just going to show you guys. And it, it made me laugh a little bit because it was so relevant to what I'm talking about. But anyway, this is John Bevere. This is from his new book. Uh, I haven't read it um, yet, but anyway, if you believe in the gospel, what you like, and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Ooh, <laughs> I thought that was good. All right, how true is that? So if you guys don't know, there's a couple new faces here, most of you do know, we're in the middle of a series, and, and God is, uh, at the beginning of the year, really spoke to me about giving a message, a series on a, the importance of l adopting an eternal perspective. And so we're really hammering this and spending a lot of time on this because of those of you who've been here in the past few weeks, uh, usually I start off by showing you and reminding you the scripture from Hebrews 1 and 2, and I'll talk about it a bit later in a different context, that says that these are the fundamental elementary teachings of Jesus Christ. And he lists five of them. And one of the ones he lists is eternal judgments. And in the Amplified Version, it says eternal judgments and punishments. These are things that you should have been fully aware of long, long ago. Fully aware of. So not just partly aware of. And part of the issue, and I've talked about this a lot, so I won't belabor it, but is that, especially in the West, we've kind of just strayed away from talking about the, the challenging stuff in the Bible, for the most part, and we've just emphasized the good, which is fine. But like I said, the problem with that is that if we're only emphasizing the stuff that we want to hear, like God wants to bless us, obviously, amen, right? Like I was talking about a few weeks ago, that's a presupposition. God wants us successful. That's, that's just a given. God loves us unconditionally. That's awesome. The problem is because it's challenging, and there's a lot of reasons for this, and it's offensive and that, we've neglected to talk about some of the challenging things. Now, because of the nature of this series, it's inevitable that I have to talk about some of the challenging things and I have been. And so we're kind of in the middle of this, and I've been talking about some challenging things. Because we're talking about eternal judgments, we're talking about, and if I, if I didn't talk about some of this challenging stuff, I would be lying to you by omission. If I only just talked about heaven and all the awesome stuff and, woo, you know, like, just hell doesn't exist and we'll just ignore that and right? Pretend it doesn't exist. The fact of the matter, it does. And, and that's why it's important to talk about. Because, and, and I'll show you this later, that if we only emphasize the good, we could actually have the unintentional effects of making people suffer eternal ramifications, okay? And we don't want that. And so really want to build this solid foundation because it's one of the foundational elementary doctrines of Jesus Christ that says that in Hebrews 1 and 2. Want to really, really spend a lot of time emphasizing this. And I remind us while we're in the middle of the intense part of this series, don't worry, we're not parking here. We are going to talk about heaven and talk about it a lot and, and, and the good things. And so uh, anyway, this is something to consider, You'll see why I gave that quote. One of the greatest hindrances to people coming to know the will of God is the fact that when they read the scriptures, they read what they believe rather than believe what they read. Does that make sense? 
So, this happens when we choose to see truth through tainted lenses. So, in other words, this can occur from incorrect knowledge gained from others' opinions or our denomination or our preconceived ideas of who God is and how he works. So, if we come to the Bible with these preconceived ideas and opinions from whoever, like I said, it could be even Dr. So-and-so, Mr. Theologian or whatever, then what the problem with that is we approach Scripture with those lenses and then we interpret the Bible according to those opinions rather than the truth. And if we're not careful, and, and <laughs> this happens a lot, this is why I'm such an advocate of the quest for the radical middle, the path of life, because if you don't hold truth in tension, if you don't hold truth in tension, meaning these seeming contradictions that aren't contradictions, if you hold the truth in tension that people have difficulty reconciling, that's how you stay on the path of life. The problem is if you believe something that is a scriptural truth and there's other scriptures that seem to contradict it, the problem is you rationalize those other scriptures away in order to try and justify and confirm what you believe. And it's weird how people do this. Like if you have a conversation, and I, I probably should, but if you have a conversation with somebody who so strongly believes what, say, their denomination taught them, and you show them scriptures that clearly contradict what they believe, it's weird how they rationalize them away. Because I've had conversations with people who have certain opinions for so many decades, and, and it's like, how can you even twist it to say that? Like, it's almost weird how that happens. And, and we're all susceptible to it, so I'm not trying to be judgmental. The point is, we got to be careful that we don't do that. Okay? Now, one of the main roots of misguided theology in the church is when we allow our experience or opinions to interpret the Word of God rather than allowing the Word of God to establish truth. And this is dangerous because it can lead us to deception. That's the danger of it. And I'm going to be talking about that today, how dangerous it actually is. It's not something that we can just write off as insignificant. It's actually really problematic in the days we're living, Scripture tells us. So... In order to know God and his ways, we must seek to know and love the truth without tampering with it. Even if it makes no sense to us, we can be honest with God and be like, this makes no sense to me. This is contrary to what I was brought up with. Can you teach me? Approaching the scripture with a humble heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us rather than us just trying to rationalize scriptures away that we don't like or agree with. So as we continue to examine what scriptures reveal about God's judgments, because this is it, these are challenging messages, they are. I don't allow preconceived notions of God, errant theology, experiences, or circumstances to alter what he's already made clear. I'm asking that, that we keep this in mind as we learn about this so that we don't fall into the trap of rationalizing scriptures a way that we don't like because it doesn't conform to our opinions. Rather, approaching the Bible and saying, look, this is what the Bible says. I just got to believe it, even though it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so let's seek him in his revealed word so that we can know his ways and walk in his truth. Because I've showed you last time, it's the lovers of truth who are going to actually be able to stand for him to the end. It says lovers of truth. Because they did not love the truth, they fell away. We have to be lovers of truth. Not just mentally assent to truth. We have to actually love the truth. Okay? And the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. But his revealed word, he is the word. And so we got to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Right? So, 
I'm saying all that to say this. Although today's topic is controversial to some, not all, some theological schools of thought, a thorough investigation of Scripture eliminates such controversy. So I'm going to use a lot of Scripture today, which isn't odd, I guess. I always use a lot of Scripture. Because this theology, this school of thought that I'm using Scripture to show you is actually not true, is really entrenched into some schools of thought. But if you take God's word at face value, you're going to see what I mean, that it's wrong, okay? All I'm asking is that you have an open heart and a mind and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the scripture I just shared. That's all I'm asking. That try and, even if, if they don't make sense or they're, if you were brought up in a particular school of thought that is like, wait, that's, I don't believe that. I'm not trying to convince you. All I'm going to do is show you scriptures and let them convince you. Because I don't even have to convince you. It's so clear in scripture that you have to do a lot of mental arithmetic to try and, and make it go away. Okay? And, and I say this because this theology I'm talking about I used to believe. And because I could, I, because of the scriptures I'm going to share with you, I was like, that's wrong. I have to change the way I think. And I don't even know how I thought that. And then I realized, without knowing, I grew up in a Baptist church that was charismatic. So it was a Reformed Baptist church, and I had no idea until last year I was having dinner with my old pastor, and he told me. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense why I believe that. I didn't even know how I believe that. And, and those of you who've been here know that I'm using John Bevere's Driven by Eternity book. It's kind of like a textbook. And it was actually that book for this series. So this message is that this, this chapter this, that I'm about to speak to you is what changed my theology. Because he gives scripture after scripture after scripture showing, oh my goodness, I cannot deny that. It's clear. Almost every New Testament writer says the same thing. And I'm going to show you, it's just all over the Bible. This isn't just some isolated scripture I'm trying to use and make you believe. It's like, no, this is over and over and over and over again. Okay? So, with that being said, I'm going to move on. We talked about hell a couple weeks ago. That was intense, right? We talked about the, dece- the judgment for the deceived and those who are imposters who say they're Christians but they're not last time. Now we're talking about judgment for the believer who falls away. Okay? I know it's intense. Like I said, don't worry, we're going to be talking about heaven someday. So, (laughs) yeah, it's coming. I'm just, I'm giving you hope. It's coming. Don't worry, it's coming. So, anyway, this this scripture I've given before, but I I want to go more in depth in this scripture, because this is Jesus Christ talking here, okay? This is Matthew 9, 13 through 13. Sorry, 24, 9 through 13. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted. He's talking about the end times. And to put to death, or yeah, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the truth, from the faith, rather. Many, many, Jesus says this, are going to turn away from the faith, from Christianity. And will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We're talking the majority. This is why we have to be aware of these things. So we don't give in to this. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He's not saying once saved, always saved, is he? He's saying those who endure through all of this are going to be saved in the end. Okay? So here I'm going to show you 
Next slide. Thank you. Question. What causes the great falling away that will cause people to turn away from the faith? The interesting thing is I just saw this last night. I was like, oh, my goodness. This summarizes all the stuff, basically the major categories I was going to give you. Right here, this is the stuff that's going to cause people to turn away, and then I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures with each category showing this is the stuff that makes people turn away from salvation. So, hate, bitterness, and unforgiveness. This is verse 10 and uh, 12. People will betray and hate each other. The love of most will grow cold. The interesting thing is if you look at the New King James Version, it says many people will be offended. Okay? Deception. Many people will be deceived by many false prophets. It actually says many. Lawlessness. Because of an increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold because of the wickedness. And last, by not persevering. At that time, many will turn away from the faith, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, now what I'm going to do is with each one of these show you scriptures that these things cause people to lose their salvation. Okay? So, the first major category, giving up salvation by giving into false teachings or deception. Right? He said many false prophets are going to deceive many people, and I have that down there in Matthew 24, 11. So, the great falling away. Now, I'm just like going to hammer this with scriptures. Uh, if you want the PowerPoints... Email ottawaatcatchafire.com, I'll send them to you, because there's a ton of scriptures every week, really, but today especially. Also, for those of you who are new, if you want previous MP3 messages from the series, uh, we'll email them to you if you want. We also post them on our Facebook page every week. But anyway, here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. This is Paul confronting deception. You know, and I want to say this up front. If you think about it, and I, I hadn't really thought about this until recently, and I'm going to have to think about it more to give you better uh, idea of what I'm talking about, but almost every, if you think about it, probably the majority of every epistle is actually correcting deception from false teachers and false prophets and false apostles. Almost every single one. You think about it. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, right? 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy... <laughs> Thessalonians, almost everyone. So we get our theology from them correcting all these false teachers and prophets and them constantly warning them, look, people are going to come and teach and deceptive things. You got to beware of this. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians, here's, here's Paul confronting some false teachings, okay? He says, let no one deceive or beguile you in any way. For that day, he's talking about Judgment Day. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, will not come except the apostasy comes first. This is the Amplified. It says, unless the predicted great falling away of those who profess to be Christians has come and the man of lawlessness, uh, sin, is revealed, who is the son of doom or perdition. Okay, the great falling away, that's what we're talking about. Remember, Jesus just talked about it in Matthew 24. The interesting thing is, too, in verse uh, 1 and 2, the, what he's confronting there is some people are saying that the judgment day already came. Already in that time, in the early church, this is arguably one of Paul's first letters written, if not, this maybe, anyway. He was saying, look, some people are lying to you and saying that the day of judgment already came. It hasn't. These are the signs so you know when it comes. The interesting thing is there's a lot of popular theology now that's saying, oh, Judgment Day already happened. 
Jesus doesn't judge anymore. That was 70 AD or whatever. The same deception is happening now. 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter times, some will turn away from the faith, giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. Right? We're talking about deception. We're talking about false teachings leading to people falling away from the faith. And that's what these are saying, right? Because people are giving into deluding spirits, doctrines of demons, it's going to cause a whole bunch of people to fall away. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers, a great number of teachers. This isn't a few. Just like Jesus said, many prophets are going to come to deceive, many false teachers are going to come and deceive to say what their itching ears want to hear. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the kind of gospel a lot of Western Christianity is preaching, just what people want to hear and just ignoring the stuff like what I've been talking about, like hell and stuff, right? So, they will turn their ears away from the truth. We're talking about falling away now. And turn aside to myths. These are myths. See, like I said, almost every New Testament uh, letter was written to confront false teachers, consistently warning us that false teachers are coming and that we got to beware. What makes us think we're immune to this in our day? If that was such a problem off day one in early Christianity and they warn us prophetically that's going to be a huge problem in the end times, what makes us think that we're immune to it? We're not. And we got to be just like they exhort us over and over and over again. We got to beware and we got to be careful and stand on guard and stand on the truth. So, Second Peter, this is kind of funny. I like this verse because Peter talks about Paul. Okay, so this is Second Peter 3, 13 to 18. But keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth with, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Remember we talked about that? God's patience? Anyway, uh, a few weeks ago. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of, them, of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Amen. <laughs> Which ignorant and unstable people distort. So even already, before the New Testament began, people were distorting Paul's letters. Doesn't that sound familiar these days? Paul, so he's saying ignorant and unstable people distort as they do with other scriptures to their own destruction. Do you know what's interesting about this? And you might not have thought about this. Already in the early church at this point in time, before the New Testament, he was elevating Paul's letters to other scriptures. Isn't that interesting? You see that? He's saying these same people are distorting other scriptures just like they are with Paul's letters. Anyway, that's the same kind of thing that's happening today. You, you hear, and I don't, I don't like labels, but false grace, you've heard of the false grace, hyper grace, hyper Calvinism, whatever you want to call it, teachings these days, the same thing is happening. They're distorting Paul's uh, uh, scriptures to say things that they're not, like universalism, we've talked about all this in the past, right? The, this is problematic today. The, the scary thing is he's saying this is to their own destruction. These people are actually leading in a route that is uh, not good. So we want to be careful. 
Because like I said last time, and I actually believe this, if Paul was preaching in our church today, I think most would call him a heretic. Because his, his, his theology and other uh, uh, letters contradict so much of what people buy into, right? And then they try and rationalize his other things that they don't like, like I gave you the quote at the beginning, right? Rather than just saying, okay, I don't understand this, but this is what is said in the Bible, right? So anyway... Look at this. This is his exhortation. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless, the lawless, and fall from your secure position. He's talking about falling away. Be careful from these people who are promoting lawlessness. They're distorting the scriptures. They're saying, grace, grace, grace. You can do what you want. It's all by grace. Mm-mm. He's saying, you got to be careful and be on your guard from these distortions of Paul's teachings. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we're, we're, we, we mentioned lawlessness, and we're getting to that next. That's problematic. You see, a lot of these things that I'm talking about, I'm categorizing them, but they work hand in hand. Because a lot of those people who are twisting the scriptures are promoting lawlessness. And I've talked about this before. If we're saying universalism is the case, everyone's going to end up in heaven eventually, which is the false teaching of universalism, then what does it matter? People don't have to repent. They're comfortable in their sin. They're saved by grace anyway. That's just lies. And it's promoting lawlessness. That's why this stuff is really important. And no, I know it's hard to talk about and listen to. It's important that we're equipped in these times because of it. Okay? So how to overcome. Now, this was specified to deception, but this really, what I'm about to say, can help us overcome the other things I'm going to be talking about soon. How do you overcome not only deception, but these other things? There's only one way, one truth, and one life. That's Jesus Christ. Amen, right? So as you follow him, staying faithful to his spirit and his word, you will endure to the end, and your name will be found in the book of life. It's that simple, really. Not rationalizing away his teachings, but saying, hey, these might be challenging, but I believe them, because that's what Jesus said. And we talked about how important that is uh, in previous messages. So here's some scriptures for you. John 8, 31 to 32. How to overcome, remember, deception. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if, condition, if, You hold to my teaching, and then you are, sorry, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If then, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth. One of my pet peeves about this scripture, it's so famous, 32, people quote that so much without quoting 31, (laughs) but it's an if then. You can't have 32 without 31, you can't say the truth will set you free. No! How does the truth set you free if you, exactly, if you hold on to my teachings, then you're really my disciples. Remember last time I talked about how Jesus told us not to make converts, but to make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, to make disciples, teaching them everything I commanded you, he says. He's saying the same thing here in John. Okay, so his word is one thing, but thank God for the Holy Spirit. Kenneth Hagin used to always say that, thank God for the Holy Ghost. I got that from him, and then anyway, I say that sometimes, but it's true. 
Thank God for God, basically. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Anyway, John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, from whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He will teach us. He's our teacher. And will remind you of everything I said to you. John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Relationship with Holy Spirit Holding on to Jesus' teachings will, ha- will help us overcome all these things I'm talking about. So I'm just telling you up front to keep that in mind so that as I'm talking about some of these other things, you'll be like, okay, it's that simple. Seeking God, intimacy, all the core values that we hold on to. It's a lot of this stuff, it's really simple how you stay on track. But the important thing is, like I said, not rationalizing away scriptures if we don't, because of our opinions or Dr. So-and-so said something Anyway, it's another pet peeve I have, Dr. So-and-so. <clears throat> I could put that in front of my name, too, but I won't. <laughs> anyway, I study some of that persuasive stuff, so I already. Giving up salvation. Remember, we talked about not giving into deception. The second thing is by not persevering, by giving up. This is Matthew 24, 10, 13. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I already talked about it. Okay, so look at this. Luke 8 to 15. Now, because I talked about this in previous messages, I'm going to try and save time and just give you the conclusion. But this is what I love about Jesus. If you look at the Synoptic Gospels, he uses some of the same uh, uh, parables and teachings and uses them in different ways to illustrate different truths. So he's using a similar teaching with the sower, To illustrate a different truth. So in Matthew's version, he talks about knowing the mysteries of the kingdom. That's what he uses, that parable. We talked about that before. In Luke's version, he uses it as an illustration for salvation. Slightly different. You guys hopefully all know. If you don't, this is Luke 8, 11 through 15, just before he gives the parable. Now, this is his interpretation of the parable. Talking about falling away from salvation, right? This is Jesus talking. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Talking about salvation. Okay, look at the second type of people. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, They fall away. What else could that mean? Once saved, always saved? This is Jesus, okay? Talking about salvation. People falling away in the time of testing. I'm teaching us this as a foundation in the times we're living in because there's so many prophetic warnings in the Bible about people falling away. That's why it says the great falling away, because tons of people are susceptible to this, and we need to stand firm in the truth by the grace of God so that we don't become one of those who fall away, right? And that's why I'm spending a lot of time in this. So the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. We'll talk about some of those things also cause people to fall away. And they do not mature, but... The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Remember, we're talking about this category that we're in right now, people losing salvation by not persevering. That's what he says the key is. 
And by persevering, they produce a crop. Over and over again, we're exhorted to persevere, to stand firm in our faith, to let nothing move us, to endure to the end. The same exhortations. Those who endure to you, now here's just some other scriptures. I'll just go bam, bam, bam. Like, like I said, it's letting the word speak for itself. 2 Timothy 2.12. If you don't believe me, if, condition, we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Hebrews 3.12-14. See to it, brothers and sisters, he's talking about believers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this is how another way we overcome this. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're going to talk about lawlessness next. We have come to share in Christ if, condition, indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, talking to believers again, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if, condition, you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. It's talking about persevering and not giving up. If we endure, if we persevere, if we hold firm to our convictions, to the end is how we guarantee that we're saved and don't fall away. Okay. <laughs> God have grace. All right. Giving up salvation through lawlessness. This is a huge one. This is uh, maybe one of the biggest ones in the end times. And I've talked about this before. That's why it's important to talk about these things because we're promoting lawlessness if we're not talking about the severity of God. If we're not talking, if we're ignoring the difficult stuff of the fear of the Lord and we're only preaching love, 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 everyone's saved, right? Love wins or whatever. All this popular stuff these days. We're promoting this. And that's why we got to talk about these things and, and I'm reminding us over and over and over again just to remind you and to help you endure through these tough messages. Okay. So, Matthew 24, 12. Uh, oh, go, oh, thanks. You went ahead. That's good. That's um, because of wickedness anyway. Now, because I, I've talked about this so much in previous messages about how these are believers and they, they find out on judgment day they're not saved and they're like, whoa, what are you talking about? We prophesied and cast out demons and did miracles in your name, right? We talk about this a lot. I'm showing you this for a reason though, because we're talking about lawlessness, people falling away from salvation because of lawlessness, this is the New King James Version, and I'm using this this time to show something. I like it the way it's worded at the bottom there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, talking about many, majority, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many miracles in your name, wonders, and then I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Talking about lawlessness, right? So the Greek word for lawlessness is anomia. 
This means acting contrary to the law or will of God. And that's what he says up there. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And like I said earlier, this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is him concluding it. We find out in verse 24 that he's actually saying his words. If you hear my words and you do them, then those are the ones who are going to be saved. So anyway, the word practice is what I want to emphasize too. Indicates that this is not someone who stumbles occasionally, right? Because none of us is perfect and we, we are all in a work of progress. We're all in process. Or someone who's struggling to be free but hates their disobedience. So, right? Because some people are just struggling to get out of sin, whether it's anger or addiction or whatever, but they hate it. You know what I mean? They want to get out. They're asking God for help. They're seeking help, but they're still stumbling. Not talking about those people either, right? Like baby Christians or whatever. We're talking about people who live contrary to what pleases God intentionally, but they overlook it, justify it, or play it off. Oh, God's grace covers sin or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I'm saying some of these teachings that are, these scriptures are confronting, are promoting that because it's like once saved, always saved, whatever, whatever, you can do what you want. Uh, no way. So, moving on. This is Galatians 5, 19, 21, saying the same thing in a different way. This is Paul talking now, warning the Galatians, right? He beats them up with his words, not really, but kind of thrashes them for like five chapters about not giving into legalism. But then he says, but this is what happens if you get into lawlessness, right? So you don't want to go into either trap. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now this is what I want to emphasize here. I warn you believers, you at church, the church in Galatia, not unbelievers, I warn you, as I did before. This isn't the first time. Paul's warning them constantly or continually about this, this very thing I'm about to say. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Live like this. We're talking lifestyle. We're not talking once in a while accidentally. Whatever, you see what I'm saying? Those who live like this, lifestyle, those who practice lawlessness is who I'm talking about. So if, if one of those things describes your lifestyle, I would say repent. Because these warnings are real. They're real. Now, this next one is lots long. This is so important, though, so I'll just read it to you. You can just ignore the fact it's small text. I tried to fit it all in one. Just listen to this, though. This is really important in what I'm saying. This is from Ezekiel 20, or 18, verses 20 to 32. Yes. It's Ezekiel at the top there, 18, 20 to 20. Sorry? Oh, sorry. Yeah, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Thanks, everyone. Um, okay, uh, this one. And remember, if you want, I'll send you these notes. If you're like writing away, oh my goodness, there's too many scriptures. I totally get it, because there are, probably. But I'll, I'll send you the PowerPoint, and you don't even have to worry about writing them down if you want. OttawaCatchafire.com. Okay. The person, now listen carefully if you can. The person who sins is the one who will die. Intense stuff. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But, talking about repentance, if wicked people turn away from their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what's just and right, they will surely live and not die. 
All their past sins will be forgotten and they'll, be, they'll live because of the righteous things they've done. Thank you, Jesus. 23, I love this because this shows God's heart on the matter. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn away from their wicked ways and live. This is God's heart. He doesn't want no one to die. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Verse 24, this is where it gets intense. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten and they will die for their sins. Will be forgotten. Right? We, we focus on the scriptures. God's going to forget all your sins, and he does, even under the blood. As far as the east is from the west, how many people quote this? <laughs> right? Not very, I don't hear people quoting this very often. Verse 25. Yet you say, this is, and people say this today. This sounds like our, our day. The Lord isn't doing what's right. <laughs> You're sending people to hell. What do you, you, right? That's what they're accusing of. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one not doing what's right, or is it you? That's a good question, God. When righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, they will die for it. Yes, they will die because of their sinful deeds. Repeats it. All, and if the wicked people turn from their wickedness, obey the law, and do what's just and right, they will save their lives. They will live because they thought it over, this is deliberate now, and decided to turn from their sins. Such people will not die. And yet the people of Israel keep saying, the Lord isn't doing what's right. O people of Israel, is it you who are not doing what's right? Or it's you, not I. Therefore, I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, talking about the judgments of God, right? That's why I'm talking about this right now. According to your actions, says the sovereign Lord, repent. And turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Right? We're talking about the new covenant here. I can show you that in other scriptures. But anyway, for why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. This is God's heart. He wants us to repent so that we can live with him for eternity. That's what he wants. Right? It's like people are like, you're not being fair. Is it me who's not being fair? Or is it you who's persisting in wickedness and refusing to repent? Now, if you're like old covenant, old covenant, that's fine. I'll show, I'll show you this in the new covenant then. <laughs> James 5, 19 through 20. My brethren, talking to believers, my brethren, if any among you in the church strays from the truth... And one turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see that? He's saying, brethren, Christians, if any among you strays away from the truth into wickedness and someone helps him out and turns him back, know that you've saved a soul from death, from hell. And he calls them sinners. This is talking about, again, perpetual sin. Sinners. Not someone who's stumbling once in a while. I'm talking about people lifestyle here, right? You see that? So, 
If this person, the implication is, keeps on sinning without repentance, it'll lead to death. Now, if that doesn't convince you, 2 Peter 2, 20 to 22. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are, are we talking about unbelievers here? These are Christians, is, right? That's what he's saying. If people turn from their wickedness, escape it by, in the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved to sin again, they are worse off than before. Just to help you out here, before they were saved, right? That's what he's saying. They're worse off. It would have been, now look what he says right after. It would have been better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. It would have been better for them not to be saved, is what he's saying, and to turn back to the world than to be saved, than to not ever have been saved. Right? They proved the truth of this proverb: a dog returns to his vomit, and another says a, a wash pig returns to the mud. Now, I want to emphasize they were worse off than before. What he's saying, and I'm going to talk about this later, is that there is more judgment for people who know the truth and walk away than people who don't. And that you, some of you might be thinking of scriptures already gave on this. The judgment's harsher. To those who have been given much, much will be required. I'll, I'll talk about that later. But, hard to argue with this, right? So, important to talk about now, the book of life. <laughs> Yay, the book of life. What's the book of life? The book of life is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. Now, what is the book of life? The names of all who will spend eternity with Jesus are written in the book. The minute you're born again, your name is written in this book of life. And this, if your name's written, hallelujah, glory, on judgment day, oh, your name's written on the book, come on in. <laughs> right? I'm paraphrasing, probably. Okay, so here's just an example. Philippians 4.3, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by, at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, I have Clement highlighted because I'm going to give you a, a quote by him later. Just so you, that's why I highlighted him now. Now, on the flip side, all who are not recorded in the book of life will suffer eternal punishment. So here's just a couple of scriptures on that. Revelation 20, 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. Nor will anyone who does what's shameful or deceitful, but only the, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Pretty clear, right? Those who are in it, they're in heaven. Those who aren't going the other place. Now, why am I saying this? Revelation 3, 5. And someday I'd probably do a series on these seven churches. There's so much revelation, pun intended, is the book of Revelation, in the exhortations Jesus gives to these seven churches. But this is what I want to talk about right now. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, why am I telling you this? I want you to think about this. He's talking to Christians in a church now. The only way to have your name erased 
from the book of life as if it was originally written in it, right? He's preaching to believers who had their name written in the book, not to unbelievers. So think about this. If Jesus stated that he will not erase their names from the book of life, if you overcome, then he's saying that it can be erased if you don't overcome. Right? And that's why I'm showing you that. I'm just showing you all these scriptures that are saying, look, you can lose your salvation. And, and I'm letting the word speak for itself for the most part, okay? Like, look, and again, Matt, this is what he says. It's clear. Matthew 24, 13. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So, on that note, I'm going to give you a story. Because a lot of us are probably like, whoa. <laughs> How do you get your name erased from the book of life? We could talk about that specific church. And that's probably a good thing to do contextually. But, but there's actual scriptural criteria in the Bible that tells you what's necessary to lose your salvation. It's clear in the Bible, and I'm going to show you that. But what I want to do to show you that and to illustrate that is read you a little bit of a story. How many of you remember this book? You might. Oh, cool. For those of you who are here way back in the day, in September, late September, I talked about how to know the will of God. If you might remember, I told a couple stories from this book. This book is called uh, I believe in visions. This is a great book. I, I, I mean, you can buy it if you want. It's up to you. I don't, it doesn't matter. But Kenneth Hagin, all this book is, is he had profound encounters with Jesus Christ personally at different points throughout his ministry, like, you know, throughout decades or whatever, just Jesus Christ appears to him. And, and, and these encounters have really interesting, te- Jesus teaches him stuff. It's really neat. And what I like about this story I'm about to tell you Jesus shows him something, and he has so hard. To, he has such a hard time believing it because it's so contrary to his theology, which many of us might be able to relate to, given this message I'm giving today. And because he grew up Baptist and Calvinist or whatever, and from that leaning, and and he's like, Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. And then the Lord t- taught him, Okay, well, look, this is what the Scripture says. This is what it means. And he's like, oh, Okay, I gotta, t- I gotta change my theology. <laughs> So anyway, this story I'm about to tell you, and I'm going to try and give you just a quick version. This is a, this is a, a part of a bigger story. The Lord's actually giving him a lesson on uh, demons and stuff. And, and that's kind of besides the point, other than to say this. This happened in 1952. He was at a, a pastor's house. He was preaching somewhere in Texas. And they were just fellowshipping after the meeting. is at someone else's church. And they were talking about the things of God. And they were eating a sandwich, drinking milk. And, and the pastor's daughter's like, Dad, can I go to sleep? I got to get up early. And he's like, oh, it's 1130. I didn't realize that. So, the, so his dad's like, okay, well, me and Brother Hagen, well, we'll just kneel down right here and pray because they prayed with the daughter before she went to bed every night. Okay, so what happens then? And Kenneth Hagen said he had no, he wasn't expecting this at all. This is like nothing. He just, right when on his way kneeling beside the chair, he just falls into this vision. He, and he said, like, all of a sudden, it's like I was kneeling in clouds and Jesus Christ was before me, right? So then Jesus gives him this, Really amazing teaching, teaching about demons and stuff. So it's really neat uh, in a lot of ways and informative. But I want to just emphasize one part of this, okay? So um, yeah, this woman, was it, okay, yeah, no, sorry. Now I'll show you how these evil spirits get a hold of people when they're allowed to, the Lord said to me. Suddenly in the vision I saw a woman. I immediately recognized her as being a former wife of a minister. So he knew them. Or, anyway. I had been introduced to her and her husband on one occasion. Other than that, I didn't know either of them. 
And I had no communication with either of them in any way. I only knew that she had left her husband. So just to give you more story, because you can hear an audio on this too if you want. Just, I think, I found this on YouTube too. Just uh, Kenneth Hagin, Sin Unto Death. And he has this whole sermon on it. I remember when I first heard it, I was just rocked by it. I was like, oh my goodness. So anyway, he knew this, this couple. This was a, f- a well-known couple that he's talking about in this vision. And they were evangelists. He said, powerful evangelists, signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit, for 25 years, and they started their own church. And then he had heard, this is all he knew. He didn't really know them, though. He, only, he saw her at different functions and stuff, leading worship, but he didn't really know them personally other than this one time he, like, met them. So, uh, but, and then he heard through the grapevine that she left, his, left her husband. That's all he knew. So Jesus is showing her in this vision, okay, him, this person that he, he knew of. This woman was a child of mine, the Lord said. She was in the ministry with her husband. She was filled with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit were operating in her life. One day, an evil spirit came to her and whispered in her ear. So apparently she was really good-looking and all that stuff, a really talented singer. And this is what the demon said. You're a beautiful woman. You could have had fame, popularity, and wealth, but you've been cheated in life by following the Christian walk. The woman realized that this was an evil spirit, and she said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And the spirit left her for a period. Then what happened is the spirit came back again, said the same thing. She said, get behind me, Satan. The spirit left. And Kenneth was seeing this happen. He saw the demon. He'd go on her shoulder, whisper this in her ear. She would. Then the third time after a season, the demon comes back. And he said the same thing, right? You're being cheated because you're beautiful. And if you went back in the world, you could be popular and all this stuff. Now, the problem is the third time she began to entertain these thoughts. She didn't cast the demon away. She started thinking about it, okay? For she liked to think that she was beautiful as... Uh, She began to think along the lines the devil suggested to her. She became obsessed with that thinking. So, right, we're talking about thoughts now. Started thinking, ah, right, you're right. I am being cheated, whatever, right? Then in the vision, I saw the woman become a transparent as glass. He, He describes it like becoming like an hourglass. And he saw her, and he saw a black dot in her mind, okay? That dot represents the fact that she's obsessed in her thinking with this evil spirit, the Lord said, at first, she was oppressed on the outside, but she allowed the devil's suggestion to take a hold of her thoughts. Her mind became obsessed. She wanted to think, I'm a beautiful woman. I could have wealth and popularity, but I've been robbed in life. Still, it wasn't too late. She could have resisted. She could have refused to think those thoughts. Then the evil spirit would have fled from her, right? As she would have re- remained free, but she chose otherwise. I'm going somewhere with this. Finally, she left her husband and went out into the world seeking the fame and the wealth which the devil offered. She took up with uh, man after man. In, in the sermon, he says she was with five different guys, right? After a, a time, that thing got down into her spirit. So he saw the black dot go into her spirit. In that vision, I saw the black dot oh, move to her head to her heart. And then the woman said, I don't want the Lord anymore. Just leave me alone. So in this vision, it doesn't say this in his book, Kenneth Hagin, the Lord showed him In the vision, this woman is staying at this hotel with this guy under this name. And then he saw in the vision that the Lord showed the pastor this, her former husband. He saw this in a vision that she's staying at this hotel. He sent the superintendent of his church. Sure enough, she was at this hotel. The Lord showed him. Okay? And then they went and knocked on the door, and she was in a bathrobe, obviously, and she was naked or whatever. And she cursed the Lord. I won't say what she said, but she's like, I don't want anything to do with him. Okay? It's really serious stuff. She was, anyway... Okay, so this is where I'm going. I said, Lord, why are you showing me this? Right? He's like, why? Well, yeah, I kind of know these people. Do you want me to pray for her? 
Do you want me to cast the devil out of her? No, listen to what Jesus says. This is what gets interesting. No, I don't want you to pray and cast the devil out of her. The Lord answered, because you couldn't anyway. She wants that evil spirit, and as long as she wants it, she can have it. Then why did you show this to me, Lord? And then he, show, he said uh, he showed it for two reasons, that he could know how sp- evil spirits get a hold of a person, and he wanted him to uh, help her husband by praying against this spirit. And Anyway, I'm going to fast forward. So, Lord, what will happen to her, I asked. Now listen, to, this, is, this is intense. She will spend eternity in the regions of the damned where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, he answered. And in the vision, I saw her go into the pit of hell. I heard awful, her awful screams. And then Kenneth says, this woman was your child, Lord. She was filled with your spirit and had a part in the ministry. Yet you said not to pray for her. I cannot understand this. Like he was saying, this is going against my theology, like my understanding. Why are you telling me not to pray for her? She's going to hell. Now listen to what Jesus says. The Lord reminded me of this following scripture. Now, this is a scripture you don't hear anyone preach. If, now, this is 1 John 5, 16. If any man see his brother or sister sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for uh, them. That's sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. How many of you read 1 John? How many of you know what scripture I'm talking about? Hasn't that always been kind of confusing? What are you talking about? Jesus is saying that's what that means. You can sin a sin unto death, and I'm telling you not to pray for that. But that scripture doesn't, okay, so then this is what Kenneth says. I said, but Lord, I always believe that the sin referred to in that scripture is physical death, and that the person is saved although he has sinned. Then this is what Jesus says, but that scripture doesn't say physical death, the Lord pointed out. You're adding something to it. If you will read the entire fifth chapter of 1 John, you'll see that it is talking about life and death, spiritual life and spiritual death. And this is spiritual death. This refers to a believer who can sin a sin unto death, and therefore I say you shall not pray for it. I told you not to pray for this woman because she sinned a sin unto death. This really disrupts my theology, Lord. Would you explain some more, I asked. And then in brackets, yes, sometimes we need our theology disrupted if it's not in line with the word. Jesus reminded me of the following scripture. Then I'll end after this because this is an important scripture. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. These are the criteria. Okay, I'll talk about this more in a minute. But these are the criteria, Jesus said, of what it takes to fall from salvation. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, number one, number two, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, talking about salvation, number three, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, Talking about believers, right? People baptized in the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, those five things, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him into an open shame. Impossible for them to, to go back to salvation, that says. Now I want to show you something. Would you go back to the slide before this? Where does this occur? This foundational scripture I've been giving you over and over and over again. Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. 
Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, others uh, uh, translations say baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the foundation elementary school Christianity one-on-one doctrines of the faith. Okay? And then he says... And God permitting, we will do so. That's verse 3. Verse 4. Verse 4, right after this. It is impossible. Now, I stopped where I stopped. Jesus keeps going on in this, in this book, if you're interested, because he teaches more on it. But, but I'll, I'll just basically summarize what he says. Impossible for those who've been once enlightened, and I have them highlighted. Here's the five things. Who've tasted of the heavenly gift, Jesus Christ, been saved. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, these aren't baby Christians. He's saying these are people who know the Word of God, who've tasted the good Word of God. These aren't just people who are getting acquainted with. These are people who are well-versed, like that woman was in ministry for 25 years. And he says the powers of the age to come, the gifts of the Spirit. That woman was, had a powerful ministry with her husband, saw the gifts of the Spirit, and she turned away, right? And who have fallen away. We're talking about falling away from faith now, right? To be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, I wanted to say this. From this list, we can see that these qualifications refer to mature believers, right? That's the point. You have a baby Christian who's still addicted to whatever and doing this and that and trying to get free. No way. And Jesus even says this in this book. He, I'm not talking about people who in like a... Uh, bad moments, say, Lord, I don't want to follow you again, you know? He, he, he likens it to kids who, like, tell their parents, I hate you, or whatever. I don't want to be your kid. No, okay, just whatever. He's talking about people who really have experienced a lot in the Lord and deliberately walk away back into the world. These are the things they've had to have experienced in order for them to actually get to the point where they lose their salvation. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Later on, uh, Hebrews 10, this is later on in the same book, 26 to 31. This is the sin we're talking about, that, right? Verse 26, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, he's talking to believers, after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment, we're talking about God's judgments, and of the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Wow. Verse 28. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who've trampled on the Son of God and who've treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and I have this underlined for a reason, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings us God's mercy. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. Is he talking about unbelievers? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I just, I, I talk to people who are so stuck in this Reformed theology. I should not say Reformed, but it, it is. Reformed theology that once saved, always saved. God's elect. And I don't, it's weird how they rationalize these scriptures. I don't even know how it's possible. That's why I'm just giving you all these scriptures. Don't argue with me. This is the Bible. <laughs> you can argue with God or whatever, you know. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Whew, okay. So... I'm just going to give you the scriptural examples. Judas. We're talking about people prophesying, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. Judas was. He was one of the 12. And I just want to say something about Judas. In his, in his, uh, to his, uh, whatever, good, <laughs> he gave up everything to follow Jesus. He, he did what the young rich ruler couldn't do. He gave up everything, followed Jesus for three years, Preach the gospel, signs and wonders, healings, casting out demons. That's uh, Luke 9.1. He even stayed through intense persecution when other disciples abandoned him. This is John 6.66. You might remember I talked about that. When we, I talked about the sermon, God Offends the Mind, to Reveal the Heart. And I believe in John 6, that whole story leading up to this is a demonstration of the great falling away. Because you'll see... There's, you guys remember that? There's levels of offense and people kept leaving him and leaving him until it finally said many of his disciples left him. That's John 66. They're like, we can't even, this is a hard teaching. Jesus, we can't even, we can't do this. Because he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They took him literally and, and they just left him. But the 12 stayed is what I'm saying. Judas even stayed. When everyone else was so offended, they left him. But Judas' intentions were not right and he had self-seeking motives. And I'll just quickly show you this. Okay, for an example, Judas stole money from the treasury of Jesus and he used it for personal gain. So you might remember, this is uh, the one before, Jennifer, um, no, before, two before that, I think. John 12, four to six. This is when the woman anointed Jesus' feet and Judas is like, what are you doing, Lord? You could sell that, feed the poor. And then John's like, actually, he wasn't concerned about the poor. <laughs> he was a thief talking about Judas, and he, he used the money because he was the keeper of the money bag in Jesus' ministry, and he helped himself to the money. He's actually a thief. And what's interesting, you look in Matthew's version, Matthew 26 to 14, right after this, this is when, G, when Judas betrayed Jesus. He was so offended at her act of worship, of lavishly pouring out this expensive perfume that was a year's wages. This, this is when Jesus went, or sorry, Judas went, and he said to the chief priest, what are you willing to give me if I betray Jesus? What are you willing to give me? Greed. That was his downfall, is, is not only lying and thieving, but it's really the love of money. And I want to say this, because we live in a rich culture, and we've got to be aware of this. I talked about the rich young Euler. <clears throat> Next slide. So those are, this is what's scary. There are those like Judas in our day. This isn't isolated to just some guy in the past who make great sacrifices for the ministry, right? They even cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the gospel, but their motives are for self-gain rather than the love of God. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 5 to 10, and verse 10. He says, In constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Verse 10, For the love, not not having money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the truth. We're talking about falling away like Judas. Wandered from the truth, from the faith rather, and pierced themselves with many griefs, just like Judas. 
In Ephesians, I forget the verse, it talks about uh, greed as idolatry, the greedy. So we got to be careful with that. Okay, so these are people who sought Jesus for their own benefit and their service being selfish and gain-motivated. Now, for these people, is the, the Scripture says the greatest condemnation is reserved for these people who know Jesus and do this. Okay, just so you know, Matthew 26, 24, I'll just be quick. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It'll be better for him not to have been born. Luke 20, 46 and 47, beware the teachers of the law, the teachers. Okay, they'd like to walk around with flowing robes, love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats at the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. The teachers, okay, who, who do things out of a motive of self-gain, honor, like they want, right, for, in front of others. So the blackness of darkness, talking about judgment of the people. Now, this is, we're talking about people falling away who know the Lord. So for, in Jude 11 to 3, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain disobedience to God. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. He had the love of money, if you look in the scripture. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. This is rebellion to authority. Two of the people were in ministry in this list. Korah was partners with Aaron, if you remember. You look at Numbers 13 or whatever when he did this. And he rebelled against authority. Moses, who are you, right? Anyway, and, and, and Balaam was a prophet of Yahweh, he wasn't a prophet of Balaam. You look at that. He was a prophet, and he, and he did what he did. Just look at the Old Testament. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you. Remember I talked about imposters who are, we, it's, these people are, are among us, is what he's saying. They're at your love feast. They're taking communion with you. Without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Shepherds, these are leaders, Feed only themselves. There are clouds without rain blowing along the wind. Autumn trees without fruit. Remember, we talked about fruit, and you'll know them. And uprooted. Twice dead. Why am I saying, what does twice dead mean? Dead in their sins. Alive unto Christ. They got saved. Fell away. They're dead again. Is it Right? What else could that mean? Twice dead. They are the wild waves of the sea foaming up in their shame. Wandering stars from whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. The worst eternal punishment is reserved for people who know the Lord's will, but don't do it. Remember Luke 12, 37 to 48. And I, I showed you this before. And I'm going to quickly read it to show you this again in this context. This is such an important scripture for us as believers. Because he's talking to believers. Okay? You can just listen because there's a lot of text. The Lord answered, Who then is the wise and faithful manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them the food allowance at the proper time. It'll be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns, the day of the Lord. Truly, I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all of his possessions. That's if you're a good steward. But suppose the servant, this is a servant, this is a Christian, a servant of the Lord, says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming, and then he begins to beat other servants, right? Mistreat other Christians, and both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, habitual sin, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he's not aware. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. He's talking about believers going to hell, isn't he? With the unbelievers. 
those who are never saved. The servant who knows his master's will, like Judas and others that I talked about, and does not get ready and does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know, right, the unbelievers, and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. The more you know, the more severe judgment is what I'm saying, right? From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded, and from him who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Serious stuff, right? Now, I'm going to quickly, really quickly, and then and wrap this up, because this is important. I want to, if you're okay, it, you know, if you've got to go, that's great. I mean, bless you. I, I just want to, I feel the urgency. I really want to finish this and just quickly at least show you these two other things that can make you lose salvation, okay? I'll try and be quick. Giving up salvation by that, through blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I'll try and be quick. This deserves its own message, and I probably, I'm guessing, will someday. But I just want to give you the verse. I already talked about Hebrews 10, right, where it talks about disdaining the Holy Spirit. Okay, look at this. Matthew, now this is, this is critical for us. And we learned this lesson the hard way in renewal. People looking at something they didn't understand, manifestations, and saying that's of the devil. Don't judge it right away. Step back and pray about it, even if it looks super weird and it goes against, violates your understanding of what God does. Because this is what happened here with the Pharisees. He says, this is Matthew 12 now, and I'm going to just give you the highlights. Then he brought, they brought a demon-possessed man to Jesus, and Jesus cast out the demon, and he healed him. He was mute and blind, he healed him. And people were like, is this the son of David? Look at what the Pharisees said, rather than having the heart of like, whoa, this is awesome. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the Satan, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Okay, so that's the context. This is actually the Holy Spirit, and they're saying that's the devil who's doing it. Fast forward to verse 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out so that then they will be your judges? But if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you, He's saying, no, this is the Holy Spirit. This isn't the devil. Now look what he says after. This is where it's serious. Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather me scatters. So I tell you, every kind of sin and slander will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but... Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Very serious. Very, very, very serious. Now, God has a lot of mercy, okay? I'm just, I, this is important for us to understand this, though, because God is going to offend a lot of people in the next move of God. So many prophecies about that, even us, okay? Moving on. Last but not least, I'll try and just be quick. This is also deserves its own message, and you'll hear it on March 19th if you come to the immersion week. We're going to totally have a whole message on forgiveness because that is John and Carol's uh, flagship message. But I want to say something. This isn't just something we can maybe choose to do. This is actually so serious that Jesus says, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. And I'll show you him say that. Now, before I do, Hebrews 12, 14 to 17. So losing salvation through bitterness is for unforgiveness. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, talking about bitterness, grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that not one is sexually immoral. Now, there's a reason I'm saying the second part. I'm talking about forgiveness, but look at this. Talking about lawlessness. Sexually immoral or as godless like Esau. For a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what is done. Esau is a type and a shadow of people who fall away. Look at Romans 9. God says, I hated Esau. This, this is why. That, if you look in Old Testament, that is a picture of somebody who for the temporal moment chose a bowl of soup He's, for his birthright, for his inheritance, for his fleshly desires in the temporal moment, he sold his birthright for the rest of his life for that bowl of soup. That is a picture of people who squander this life, this temporal life for the flesh, and give away their internal inheritance. Do you see that? That's what he's saying. Godless like Esau who did this, and then when he did this, he couldn't take it back, even though he did with tears. Right? So he's a picture. Look at Romans 9 too if you want. But anyway, forgiveness. Just quickly. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. This is unforgiveness. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father talking about believers, in heaven may forgive you your sins. Pretty straightforward. Matthew 6, 12 to 15. This is in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Two things. Father, this is to believers. Not unbelievers. Also, unbelievers don't pray, do they? We're talking about believers. Quick, the conclusion, uh, two up. Matthew 18, 32 to 35. And I'm just, this is a parable. This is an important parable, and I encourage you to read it all. And I'm not going to, I'm just giving you the conclusion. But in the parable, this is a parable about a king forgives somebody, a servant, talking about a Christian, an unpayable debt. I did the math. 10,000 talents equals about 12 million ounces of gold. I looked up the price of gold in Canadian dollars, 1743 the other day. $21 billion almost. It's 28-something. Billion is what he owed in this parable. To this king, begged for mercy, king forgave him. Talking about a believer. Then this servant went to another servant, another Christian who owed him 100 denarii, which was each denarii was a day's wages, for all, so almost a third of a year's wages, wouldn't forgive him, sent him to prison. Now this is what happens. The master gets mad at his servant. The master called the servant, and you wicked servant, born-again believer who received forgiveness, is his servant. And he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant... I'm a Christian, just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which was impossible. 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you believers, I have in brackets, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Brother or sister, talking about other believers. This is, a, this is serious stuff. Now, this book, 
That's all I'm going to say and be like, oh my goodness. But if you have difficulty with forgiveness, we, this is John and Carol's flagship book on this. It's their life message in a lot of ways. And if you want, you can read it, right? We have it in the bookstore if you want. It's eight bucks or something. For your sake, if you are like right now convicted, <laughs> oh my goodness, I think I have unforgiveness, you know, you, lots of resources for you to walk it out, okay? So, one minute. This isn't, I gave it ever, almost ever. no, one minute on this. I'm going to speed through this because this is important. This is not, and if you have to leave, go ahead. I bless you, honestly. I, I just, I feel like I'd be convicted if I didn't finish this message and I realize it's going long. This is the early church fathers. This is either direct disciples of the apostles or disciples, like the first 300 years. Okay? And I'll just quickly do this. Almost every, I've given you scriptures from almost every New Testament writer saying you can lose your salvation. But if that's not enough, okay, here's the founders of some of our, our, our theology. Let us practice righteousness so that we may be saved unto the end. Okay, that's Clement of Rome. Now, you might remember Philippians 4.3. That Clement there, that's who, he, that, that's who that was. He knew Paul, he knew Peter. Those who do not obey him being disinherited by him have ceased to be his sons. Irenaeus. You might remember some of these names. Next slide. And, and if you get the slides, I have just a little description of who they were. You can also Wikipedia them or whatever. Um, that was Tertullian. Oh, wait, I missed Irenaeus. Some think that God is under a necessity of bestowing even the, on the unworthy what he's promised to give so that they turn his liberality into his slavery. For not many afterwards, or for do not many afterwards fall out of grace. Is not this gift taken away by many? This is Tertullian. He's been called the founder of Latin Christianity and Western theology, and he's the first to coin the term Trinity. Okay? These are big, well-known people if you haven't heard of them. Last two. Even in the case of one who's been done the greatest good deeds in his life, but at the end has run headlong into wickedness, all of his former pains are profitless to him, for at the climax of the drama, he's given up his part. That's Clement of Alexandria. Alexandria. A man may possess an acquired righteousness from which it's possible for him to fall away. That's origin. Okay. So I wanted to thoroughly convince you. Right? I gave you, and there's more scripture. I gave you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Why did I do that? Because this theology I'm confronting, that's not the right word, talking about, is entrenched in Protestantism. You might know that. Reformed theology influences a lot of denominations, probably many of us were brought up in. And we might not even realize, like I didn't. Like Baptists, not every Baptist is, but some are Reformed. Once saved, always saved, God's elect, right? You can't lose your salvation. Really? Like, I, I mean, when it's all said and done, I gave you all these scriptures, do you think, I don't, this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer me. You might be like, yeah, you don't, but whatever. You have to do a lot of mental arithmetic to believe that, right? After not only these scriptures, most New Testament writers saying that, but also the early churches, this is, this, is just, this is why I had to change my theology in this area. You can see why, right? So what should we do in light of all this? Good question, my goodness. What should we do? A lot of things we can do, but I'll just summarize. 
2 Corinthians 13, 5. This is interesting. Paul tells us to do this. We don't take our faith for granted that we're saved. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He tells us to test ourselves. So today, there's more, I'm guessing. I just talked about five major ways you can lose your salvation, right? Based off of even Matthew 24. So giving up salvation by giving into false teachings, deception. Giving up salvation by not persevering or giving up, right? Falling away. Giving up salvation through lawlessness or wickedness. Giving up salvation through blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Giving up salvation through bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, i got to give you some encouragement at the end here. And I want you, I relisted those for a reason. If you're feeling convicted on those, I want to pray with us. Okay, so just examine yourselves. And if any one of those is like, my goodness, right, I might have to deal with this. Then this is great. This is because I got some good news. There is forgiveness for those who've stumbled but repent. Even, in fact, in this book, I, Jesus said to Kenneth Hagin, that woman could have had a hundred men. If she would have repented, I would have forgiven her. Right? It's, that's not the sin unto death. The sin unto death is denying Jesus when you have all the five criteria in place. There's forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's the message of the gospel. And I already gave you James 5.19. He says, if any of you sway from the truth, if someone turns you back, you're going to save them from death. Saying you can turn them back. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself so you may not be tempted. The prodigal son, everyone probably knows that. Luke 15.11-32. I want you to think about this. A lot of times we use this as a sinner, who was never saved getting saved? No. This is a child of God, a believer, going into lawlessness. Read the prodigal son in that way. A son of his squanders an inheritance for prostitutes and wild living. Then he repents and turns back. There's repentance. And that's the only time in Scripture we see a picture of the father running to meet him. Okay? But, but I, wanted, I want you to note this, that... That scripture is also about legalism and how that's bad. Because the older brother represented the legalist. You get, remember when I talked about the path of life? Lawlessness, legalism, both are errors. And God confronts the legalist too, the older brother. So I wanted to say that to say this. Because after a message on the severity of God, our temptation is to go into legalism. Our temptation, if we've been in lawlessness, is to go into legalism. And I'm saying, no. Legalism is not the answer to lawlessness. And I have not there, capital bold. Grace is God's answer to lawlessness. Because I want to say this, living by the law for righteousness will get you severed from Christ and make you fall from grace too. This is Galatians 5.4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But look, lawlessness does the same thing. It also cuts you off from God's grace. And we talked about this, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that none of you fall short of the grace of God from bitterness, sexual morality, godlessness, yada, yada. Okay, so you see both. And I say this every week. How do we stay on the path of life? The quest for the radical middle? Beholding the kindness and severity of God. 
And I'm, I'm telling this every week because that's the key to the, all of this. Because we're emphasizing the severity right now, and our temptation would be, oh, good, legalism. No. To stay on the path of life, you need to behold both. The unconditional love of the Father will keep you out of lawlessness or legalism, but God's severity keeps you out of lawlessness. The interesting thing is, where does this verse take place? Romans 11, uh, uh, 22, when it says, Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you kindness. If you continue in his kindness, he's talking about salvation. If you look it up. He's saying, look, if you don't continue in his kindness, you're going to fall off too, to the Gentiles. So there he's talking about all that to say this, we don't want to get into legalism. And I realize because of the nature of this series and then where we're at in it right now, we're emphasizing severity, fear of God. That's great. We need both. But we don't want to promote legalism either, okay, at all. God loves you. So I want to pray <laughs> after such an intense message. Conviction of the Holy Spirit I'm guessing maybe some might have been convicted today. Maybe not. But I really felt like I was supposed to preach this, and to preach it all, which is why I endured to the end. And so did you. Thank you. Okay. I want to, let's all close our eyes. Just give us all an opportunity. If we need to, if the Lord's convicting us, that is amazing. God says he disciplines those he loves. Conviction is the Holy Spirit. He loves to get us right with him so that we can live righteous and endure to the end. I just want to say, if any of you, and let's all close our eyes, please. If any of you from this message are concerned for yourself, I'm talking about yourself now, okay? Whether it's lawlessness, unforgiveness, and you want to do this right now, I'm not forcing you to do anything. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you and leading you to do this, and I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out, which is why I have everyone's eyes closed. I want to pray with you that you would get back. Like I said, we can do this scripturally. So if you feel to do this, I would like you just to raise your hands. And I want to pray with you. Whoa. Thank you, I saw your hand. Anyone else? If you're feeling like you need to repent and get back on track. Is there anyone else who'd like to just pray with me? Prayer of repentance. Is there anyone else? Okay, two. All right. Let's all now, I'm not embarrassing any of you or single any of you out. That's why I want us all to pray this together. Because I really, and I want you to pray this in faith and confidence, knowing that if you've strayed and got off track, that the Lord, like the good Father who runs after you and embraces you and forgives you of your sin, will do the same for you. He's not a, he doesn't respect He's not a respecter of persons. He'll do it for you. So let's pray together and, and just uh, come before the Lord and ask him just to get us back on track. And I want you all to pray together so we don't embarrass anyone. So Father, I come before you in humility of heart and I thank you for your conviction. Lord, I, can, I, whoa, just, hmm. I confess that I've went astray in these ways that you've revealed to me. And Lord, today I choose to repent and come back to you. I thank you, Father, that you promised to restore me. 
that you promise to keep me on track. And from this day forward, I ask you for your great grace and mercy to help me do so. Lord, we come boldly to your throne of grace to receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help us in our time of need. We thank you for that, Lord. Okay, and if any of you, as I've been speaking today, have loved ones, I'll say amen to that, have loved ones that you think you're concerned about and would like us to pray together. Is there anyone? Okay, there's quite a few. Let's pray together in faith. Because the Holy Spirit loves to convict people of righteousness and sin so that they can get back and, and be reconciled to God. So let's together stay, stand in faith, believing that God is going to reach to those people we're concerned about, okay? Together in faith. Father, I just, and I'll just pray. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you, Holy Spirit, would... As you say, you're the hound dog of heaven, that you would just chase each one of these people down and that you would just bring them to you. If they've fallen astray and they were once believers, Lord, I ask that you would just convict them and show them the errors of their way so that they would come back to you like the prodigal son. And God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your unfailing love. And we just come before you now in Jesus' name and believe that you and thank you that you will send the right people with the right message at the right time and even angels or whatever it takes for these people to repent, that it's supernatural encounters, whatever it takes, that they would repent and turn back to you. We thank you for that, Lord. And we just thank you for your great love and all you're doing in our lives and our friends' lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so thanks for enduring.